We have been on this journey through the Shadowlands together as a family for the last five weeks. This is our sixth week, last week, walking through this journey. And we've been seeing how it, it, the Scriptures kind of talk about and address the emotions that we often feel in the midst of suffering, when we're going through trials and we're going through times of suffering. The first week we really examined the, the story of Job and we saw that when our lives kind of come crashing down around us and the things that we expected to continue on or we expected to always happen, when they, when they began to fail us, we kind of become disillusioned, we become confused because the world ahead of us is less clear than we once saw. It becomes murky, hazy, and, and fear begins to settle in because of that confusion. And then the week after that, we saw the story of Lazarus, and after he died, uh, Mary and Martha approached Jesus as he's coming late, uh, and Lazarus has already been in the grave for four days. They're angry with Jesus because they know that if Jesus would have shown up earlier, there was something that he could have done to heal Lazarus. And yet Martha, we see in the end, surrenders her anger to Jesus, trusting in him, knowing that he can still do whatever he wants, and she surrenders that fear, that anxiety, and that anger that she's had over to him. The week after that, we saw Jesus' own experience of suffering as he faces his, his worst moment in his life, the cross, and he's praying in the garden, and he knows that he's about to be betrayed by everyone who he loves, and he knows that he's about to face extreme physical pain. And so he's praying and he's, his stress is so great that he's actually sweating or, or emitting some kind of drops of blood out of, his, out of his sweat glands because he's so stressed out about what he's facing. And he questions God. And he asks God, if there's any other way, let's make it that way. Let's not do it this way. And so many times in our lives when we face suffering, we just want it to go away. And so we'll play games with ourselves. We'll pretend like it's not happening. We'll stuff the feelings down deep. Or we will just move on acting like things are normal and we won't face the feelings that we have. And yet Jesus shows us we can question God. We can bring our emotions to God and we can question what God is doing in those midst of time and suffering and God will answer us. Not always the way we want, but he will answer us. And then the week after that, we looked back a little bit in Jesus' story, and we saw how Jesus prepared his disciples for his death. He knew that they were going to face days of great sadness. And so he encouraged them, and he strengthened them. And one of the main things that he prayed for them would be that they would be unified and they would show love toward each other the same way that he was showing love towards them. Because he knew that in sadness, one of the most dangerous ways that we could begin to operate is to become isolated from those around us who love us and who we love. That if we become individuals in those moments of suffering, we could become lost in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of that sorrow, without those who are around us to pull us up out of it and encourage us and help us and be there alongside us. So he encouraged his disciples to stay strong and united together. And then last week, we saw in the series the story of Elijah and the loss that he experienced. And we tend to think of loss as being the death of someone who we love dearly. And yet there's all kinds of different loss that we experience in our lives. And we see that Elijah kind of experiences this loss of a victory. He thinks that he's won against the 
enemies of God and that God has shown himself to be true to all of Israel. And here he is. He's going to walk into the capital of the northern kingdom as a victor. And all are going to repent of their sins and come and and listen to him. And they're going to come and return back to the Lord. And yet what happens is that he gets hunted after by the queen and by her army. And he has to run out into the desert for fear of his life. And he becomes so desperate and so depressed that he just lays under a broom tree and he's ready to die because of the sense of loss that he has felt. And we can often get there in our own lives and many of us will experience, if we haven't experienced depression at some point in our lives, and we talked last week about how God gently calls us out of that and gives us what we need in the midst of those times of depression and loss and suffering. This week, we're finishing our series by really looking at what it means when the psalm, Psalm 23, says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. One of the most interesting things I've ever heard when someone preached on Psalm 23 one time and I was listening, was they said, listen to the verse closely. Yea, though I walk through. You see, we as human beings, we may experience darkness, suffering, shadows in our life. We may have to end up in the valley of the shadow of death at some point. And yet, we aren't supposed to set up a house and live there. It's not a place for us to dwell. It's not a place for us to remain. It's a place for us to journey through on our way to somewhere else. Now notice this, if you're walking through a valley of a shadow of death, do you think you're going to come out on the other side completely unscathed? Probably not. You're probably going to get bruised up and beaten about, and you're probably going to have some scars when you come out on the other side. So I'm not saying to you that the journey through the shadowlands will lend you on the other side completely untouched. That's just not the experience and the reality that most of us live in. We're going to remember the pain of those times and we're going to remember the suffering and we're going to have some wounds that are healed over into scars from it. But we're called to walk through and not to set up a house and to dwell in the valley of the shadow of death. So God provides us a way to go through the sufferings that we experience in our life. And I think that it's through hope. The way that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death is to cling to hope that God has given to us. And so this morning I wanted to look a little bit at that hope. The first thing I think that we see in God's promising us a hopeful future is that God solved suffering by entering into suffering. God solved suffering by entering into into suffering. One of my favorite Puritans, John Owen, I've quoted him in here before. You don't want to read him because he's too heady and too dense to read. But he has a book called The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. And I always thought that was such a beautiful title. The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. And essentially it says this. It says that God solved the problem of ultimate suffering in all of humanity when he chose to take on suffering himself In His Son, Jesus. What a beautiful picture. No other religion paints that picture. No other religion 
offers that solution. And yet our scriptures say in Hebrews, because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. Another way that you can think of it, these are some old guys, they're, called, they're known as the Cappadocian Fathers. There were three bishops that helped to define uh, the nature of Jesus as being both divine and human and also helped to define, by extension, the idea of the Trinity within the church. And one of the things that there was a motto for them is what he did not assume, he did not redeem. What he did not assume, he did not redeem. In other words, it means that if Jesus wasn't fully human, then he couldn't have redeemed all of humanity. He had to be human in every way that you and I are human. Otherwise, there's some part of humanity that remains unredeemed because Jesus didn't experience that part. In other words, Jesus lived a life just like you live your life, and he experienced experiences just like the experiences you experience. And he suffered just like we suffer. Also that in his redemption, as he perfectly obeyed the Father, even to the point of death, even as Paul says, death on a cross, when he is vindicated and raised back to life, he conquers over all the things that we struggle and suffer with in our experience. What he did not assume, he did not redeem, which means he assumed all of the human experience because we know that he's redeemed all of the human experience. Many of us who have been parents in this room or who have been parented by good parents know this, that our parents and as parents were able to comfort our children when they go through suffering. Why? Because we can relate. Because we've been there. We know what it feels like to lose a friend who we love dearly when they become a jerk to us, right? We know what it feels like to lose someone to death and to mourn their loss. We know what it feels like to go through the hormonal changes of the teenage years, right? We remember what it felt like to suffer through the things they're suffering through. And so when we come alongside them and comfort them, it's from deep knowledge, now, what good would a God be if he promised us comfort in the midst of our suffering but knew nothing of suffering himself? And so Christianity begins to make a lot of sense when you think of it that way, that this God wouldn't keep himself from the suffering we would go through, but he himself would enter into it so that he would know our suffering and he'd be able to comfort us and pull us out of our suffering when we need it. Second thing, God made suffering to be salvation. Another beautiful image within Christianity. God made the very thing which is the bane of our existence, suffering, to be the very thing which offers us all hope and beauty for a future away from suffering. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever heard the term flip the script? Right? It's when something that's expected to happen all of a sudden gets flipped on its head and the opposite happens. God flipped the script in Jesus. 
We expected to live this life of suffering in pointlessness, almost as Ecclesiastes says, right? Vanity is vanity. All is vanity. And yet, Jesus enters in and turns the most mundane, the most terrible, the most dark parts of our life into the most beautiful, the most redemptive, the most promising aspects of life. All because He chose to make that which was disdainful a blessing to all. What an amazing, amazing thing. But we can see it in God's character way before Jesus is ever on the scene. This is something that irks me a lot when you hear somebody say the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. No, you haven't read the Old Testament well enough if you believe that. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And we see God revealing his character and his nature to the people of Israel. And we see that Jesus fully fulfills all the things we see about the God of the Old Testament. And so we see in Joseph's story, Joseph is sold by his brothers to slaves. And he's living a life of slavery. And yet when he comes full circle and he's the second hand in charge of all of Pharaoh's kingdom... And his brothers are coming in begging him for food, not knowing it's him. And he reveals himself to his brothers. What does he say to his brothers? Somebody remember? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God has had a nature of flipping things from the very beginning. What you would expect from God, he does sometimes the opposite. And he makes things that were supposed to be horrible and disgusting into great, beautiful acts. As the brothers sell their little brother into slavery and then he becomes their savior in a horrible famine later. And is able to reflect and understand that God meant all of this to happen for their, for their good, that they would be blessed. What an amazing part of that story. Hebrews goes on and says this, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our, con- our conscience from the dead works to worship the living God? Okay? Do you guys get that? How much more will the suffering of Christ purify us so that we might be able to worship God in truth for all eternity in an unbroken relationship with Him? That Jesus' suffering would become our fullness. That Jesus' crush spirit on the cross would become life in abundance to us for all eternity. God flipped the script with Jesus and he made suffering to be our salvation. God plans for us to have total, total restoration. Complete restoration. This is what he says in our passage today. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. This is a promise from God on His throne to all of us of what His plans are for His creation. This is what He's doing. This is what He's creating. And it's hard for us to imagine because none of us have experienced it, right? How many of you have lived a life without tears? No hands. All right. That's good. We don't have any weirdos in here. 
We've all lived life with suffering. We've all had tears shed over things that were not good that happened to us or around us. And yet, there's going to be a day where that is going to be history and not a part of our present reality. What an amazing promise God has given to us. And the image, I think, is something like if you remember back about three years ago. Do you guys know this is my third year anniversary today? Well, third year Sunday. But about three years ago, I preached a series on Genesis 1 and 2. And when I got to Genesis 2, as I was preaching, I started taking off my clothes. And you all got a little bit worried. Do you remember that? And I had a a glass up here filled with clay, and I got down in it, and I began to act out what God did in creation as he poured water into the dirt, and he formed it into clay, and he began to mold humanity. And then I walked, and I showed you my hands. Do you remember what my hands look like? Covered in dirt. The beautiful image of Scripture that's been there since the beginning, since Genesis 2, is that God was going to get dirty in his creation of humanity. We just didn't know at the time that that meant that he was going to come and eventually be hung on a cross for our salvation. God got his hands dirty for us so that he could make something beautiful out of something that was just dirt. So that he could make something wonderful, something amazing out of the dust of the earth. You and me. God's plan has never been thwarted, but he has been moving it in action since the very beginning of time until now, and he has a completion date when he is going to restore all things to the perfection of his relationship with us here on this earth. This news, this news gives us a new vantage point. This news gives us a new place to look at suffering from, a hill in which we can look down on the shally, the, the valley of the shadow of death, and we can see it anew. And we can understand it not from a perspective of being buried in the suffering, but we can understand it from God's end goal that he's getting his hands dirty and creating something beautiful out of what seems like something disgusting. Something base. Something normal. And yet he's creating something amazing from it. This knowledge... This knowledge should give us tremendous hope. This vantage point should fill us with overflowing hope. Even in the midst of the darkest, darkest times. Over the last five weeks, we've shown a video before my sermon. And if you haven't been here, if you missed a week or two, we've looked at this family that has gone through an experience where the mother is diagnosed with cancer and she's going through chemo treatment and then all of a sudden she's not at the table and something we know is desperately wrong and then we realize that she died as they're all wearing funeral clothes in our video last week without mom at the table, remembering her, feeling the loss of her. Now, if you weren't paying attention closely, you might have missed that on that table every single week there was two elements Did anybody notice them? 
There was always a grape of some sort, and there was always a grain of some sort. Communion. And if you didn't notice, also, there was a girl sitting with her back to us the entire time. And what did she have in her hair? A purple ribbon. I had to say that to you guys because you might have lost my imagery in that. And it's important to our last video, so let's watch it now. <laughs> 